<laughs> yeah, he'll, be, he'll be in like a big beekeeper suit holding the camera down on like her going down. Whatever. Okay. Radio Drome. Welcome to yet another in the endless series of Radio Drome episodes. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Canadian monkey man himself, the absurdist, the Peter. Yes, very absurd. You'd just eat, you'd eat your own guts if you were given the opportunity, wouldn't you? I certainly would. And I would smile. Biggest smile on my face you'd ever see. And the Cecil himself, there is no other... The Cecil. There certainly is not. You want to help out the show? You want to get a little something for your quarantine or your butt? You go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. All you have to do is use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. And also, you guys need a VPN, especially with everybody being at home, everybody's going to weird places on the internet. You need a VPN, a virtual private network to really help you, and that's where NordVPN comes in. Go to 1201beyond.com backslash drome vpn that will bring you over to nord site there you will be able to get 75 percent off of a three-year plan that's only three dollars and 79 cents a month and nord will be able to protect your data encode your data and make you a lot safer in the digital wasteland that is the internet it's a condom for you going to the sex club 1201beyond.com backslash drome vpn so right now, COVID is still a thing. Everything's going on that's weird. Productions are trying to start back up. You guys would not even believe all of the ridiculous SAG rules that films have got to deal with now. I've seen some of the new SAG rules for films starting back up. This is going to add exponential amounts to the budgets. These are, I'm not saying ridiculous in the fact that, you know, I'm thinking the pandemic is not a real thing, but ridiculous in indie cinema is going to be killed with these new rules. What do you think is the state of indie cinema moving forward? Whether it's just from COVID, just because of the way things have been of late with indie cinema budgets going down and down and down. Well, I don't know what these new SAG rules are, but I do know that these films are definitely suffering as far as not being able to actually have the festivals that they used to have, which is where a lot of these films were given their their spotlight and where a lot of people would be able to see them. And then they would find their distributors. They would end up on, you know, whatever streaming sites after that or, or wherever else you could end up seeing them. So I think that in itself is definitely going to hurt it and has been hurting it because we, we don't know how long it's going to be until these festivals start up again. It, it could be as late as October or November for all we know. It's definitely something that is going to affect viewer the viewership of this of people actually being able to see these movies and it's affecting it's affecting the film industry in general like most filmmakers don't want to just throw their their movie up on up on prime or up on shutter or something like they want it to actually do a, a box office draw you know this is where movies make a make a chunk of their money and get a chunk of their advertising as well if 
if like the blockbusters are suffering, like the indie films are are suffering even worse. It's it's just unfortunate because you've got a lot of these great indie filmmakers nowadays, you know, like um, you know, like Joe Bigos and, and people like this that are that are making their movies and they're just they're going straight to straight to Prime or straight to Shutter. Like they they don't get to have their their film festival outing. Which, which is such a shame because this is where movies like this really, really get to shine and get to be seen by a lot of people and make money for the filmmakers and the actors. So it, it sucks. It just really sucks. When you have a movie like the original Evil Dead that was basically um, a couple of guys and some actors just throwing Caro and red dye everywhere and just constantly coming back and refilming and making it by the skin of their teeth, making it, mm-hmm. you know, just with every little tiny bit of money that they had, uh, you're not going to get that anymore because there's going to be all these regulations in place that would prevent somebody from being able to do that, that they just... They they wouldn't be able to I mean, they could barely afford the movie as it was, which is why it took so long for it to be made in the first place. And it's just going to prevent smaller filmmakers from even trying to to do that. They're they're going to look at it and they're going to be like, oh, I really want to make this movie. Oh, I have all these other things that I have to do that mm-hmm. are going to make it so that this film is going to be compliant. I'm sure they're probably going to have to have signed and there's going to be grifters involved where you're going to have people that are going to take advantage of this various uh, situations that are going to oh well I am uh, the overseer of the health and well-being of and make sure you know and all this different kinds of nonsense oh god it's like when they went to Springfield to shoot the (laughs) radioactive man movie (laughs) right right you know It's it's gonna be it's gonna be that times ten, you know. Oh uh, God! Only for what, like what small these, low budget uh, films. What are some of these new regulations that they're putting in place? Okay, it's not just SAG; it's all departments, so all the different guilds, the electricians guild, the directors guild, and all that. I just use SAG as sort of right. a catch-all here. The new rules basically everyone has to be quarantined together, and departments have to be separated. So all your gaffers they have to be quarantined in one hotel for two months prior to shooting and two months after shooting so for basically let's say your shoot is two months that's six months where these people cannot go out they cannot go see their families this is for actors and do you really think like gal gadow and brad pitt and all that are going to be quarantined for six months with their fellow cast members and not and literally not be able to uh, see I their families see and stuff all of these different departments, none of them can be on set together. So, like, if a light needs to be adjusted, everyone has to leave except for the cinematographer and his team. And then things have oh, to come man. in and be sanitized. Then the next team can come in to check for the sound and all this. And no one can be on set together. They all have to be quarantined together. They all have to wear massive amounts of personal protective equipment. It basically is going to make a movie that would shoot for a month now takes six to eight months to shoot that movie. It's going to be ridic- a ridiculous weight to put on the crews. It's going to be a ridiculous weight to put on the casts. Daily testing. You have to be COVID tested every single day. And that's not free. That's also incredibly unpleasant. That that thing they stick up your nose to pull your brain out. This is going to... <laughs> Like a Warner Brothers film, like what, uh, whatever, you know, the next Warner Brothers DC movie can be that can afford this. They'll be able to pay the crew more for this. They'll be able to pay the cast more for this. 
A small mm. independent film, a $100,000 movie, an under-million-dollar movie. This yeah, is, they can't afford that. This is going to put them out of business. First of all, a movie like that, a movie like a $100,000 film, you literally cannot afford to sequester everybody for months together in a hotel where you have to essentially police them. They can't even go out for cigarettes or anything. Oh, and you also oh can't God. have get anything delivered. Everything has to be prepared meals in a specific sanitary way by specific companies. You can't just, like, three in the morning i'm gonna order pizza hut you can't do that because the pizza hut might have covid on it which could infect the entire crew so everything is regulated and segmented now with the new guild rules asinine and again i understand that this is a pandemic and i understand why they're doing this i think they're massively overcorrecting but i understand what their thinking is Mm -hmm. Independent cinema is about to go away under this because they cannot survive with this nonsense. It it seems like they like you said they're massively overcorrecting. I don't like is is all of that going to be like necessary? Like it seems like they're going so far in the opposite direction that it's going to not not only kill independent films but it's going to slow down production and i'm not saying that movies are more important than people's lives but what i'm (laughs) saying is that is this massive overcorrection really completely necessary because people need to work people need to make money too to survive well yeah like like, uh, if you look at the other essential service jobs and stuff like i for instance work at a warehouse i work at a shipping and receiving warehouse we're not covid tested every single day like we do have hand sanitizer, we have things like that. You know, we're we're told to wash hands frequently, wear a mask if you can, if you're going to be around people, that sort of thing. And yet, with the film industry of like, let's say you have a, a small independent movie, maybe like 15 people total on the cast and crew, micro budget, like a hundred thousand dollar film, maybe even less than that. And it's like you have to go through these like these procedures of constant testing of of constantly being quarantined and stuff, but it's like, yet how are are people that are doctors, nurses, police, warehouse workers, things like that, construction workers, we're all just leaving the house, we're going to work, so it's like, are, are, are it's like, I, I don't understand. It's it's almost like uh, they're trying to make it more more difficult than it than it really is. I think the reason they're overcorrecting is they're afraid of lawsuits and th- that mm-hmm. and insurance. They're afraid of lawsuits because if I'm just going to say Gal Gadot ends up getting COVID while shooting a Wonder Woman scene for a DC movie, she's going to sue the. Sh- out of Warner Brothers because Mm. they didn't take enough protection to make sure she didn't get COVID. So I think this is about insurance and lawsuit protection. That's all. It's not not like the studios uh... care if if the third gaffer or the assistant director gets COVID. They care if the third assistant director gets COVID and a lawyer. Well, they care. Well, I mean, to also be fair, if a gaffer gets COVID, they can be replaced. But if your star gets COVID, that's going to shut down the production even. Well, it's going to shut down the production for one. Possibly you might get a lawsuit on your hands. Yeah, you might uh, you might badly dent or even uh, lose your career over that. Well, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk about the state of independent cinema with this, because we talked about the state of COVID a few episodes ago. The independent scene has had a weird, is, is being handled weird through all this, because you have all the productions that had already finished before COVID. So they all they had to do was post-production, which is one guy sitting in a room, usually. So that's why you're getting 
in a weird way, certain independent films that just hit at the right time are making way more money than they would have if COVID had not happened. Because you're mm. getting these small films where they're the only movies coming out and drive-ins are showing them and they're making millions of dollars and people are seeing them because they're the only thing out there. And I think that's kind of neat. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, yeah, sucks for the other, it sucks for the other films that can't be released yet, but it's cool that these films are getting a bigger audience than they would have. The movie Routines, which none of you have seen. Well, you two have seen. Well, you guys have seen it, but the audience hasn't. Dominic McGlory. And it's his first feature film. I have a part in the movie. I'm in it for, I don't know, maybe five minutes, but spread throughout the film. And it was shot in October Probably in Chicago. Probably five to ten minutes total. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm, I'm absolutely supporting cast in this. But he made this movie and we shot it in October in Chicago, planning on having it play the festival circuit in spring and summer, but obviously that didn't happen. So the movie's currently looking for distribution. I showed it, I, I, Cecil didn't get a chance to watch it, but I did show it to Peter. This is a movie that it, it was made at the exact right time, I think, because if this, if they had shot this in December, it, probably would have gotten caught up in COVID. So yes, this being shot in October was the perfect time for this. I just, I hope it finds distribution. Now, Cecil, you didn't see it. I'm too close to the movie because I've read the script. I've read the other drafts and I'm in the film and I know some of the people involved, but Peter, you don't, you just saw the movie. Do you Mm. think this movie is going to work for the audience of this show? Because it's a, this is a sleazy movie, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I think for the audience of this show, absolutely, or just people that are into these kind of movies in general. And what I mean by these kind of movies is something that harkens back to William Lustig and Abel Ferrara of a Frank Henenlotter. These styles of very gritty, very sleazy kind of movies just that follow the exploits of kind of a piece of shit. Like this sort of a a terrible person. And in this case, it's a guy that literally wants to be the most offensive stand-up comedian. Like he doesn't want people to laugh. He wants people to feel uncomfortable and to be offensive. He even, um, he even like pays a guy to go up on stage and like challenge him to fights and and stuff. So it's like, it's this whole, it's this whole performance art in a way, isn't it? Yeah. It's like a, a bad comic performance art kind of thing. And it's like, even, and then in, uh, in his everyday life, like he's also he's kind of a cokehead, he's kind of an alcoholic, he's just sort of a generally scummy kind of guy, and then he ends up like falling in love with a punk rock singer who's into all the same like weird monster movies and stuff as he is. Like it's a really interesting story. And I think you were telling me that the director wanted to go for like an Abel Ferrara driller killer kind of aesthetic. I think he really pulls it off. It really does have that kind of style of just like any any given room or any given street that you're on just has this like sheen of dirtiness to it, which is definitely something that Abel Ferrara was doing with with films like Driller Killer or even like uh, Bad Lieutenant. Just really really good stuff. I think for anybody that is a fan, the directors I've listed, you know, movies like movies like Maniac, movies like Driller Killer, or even like the one that it reminded me of quite a bit watching it was uh, Adam Rifkin's The Dark Backward, and that that's also just to do with the fact that that one's also kind of a sleazy, scuzzy feeling kind of movie about a like sort of a failed stand-up comedian. So if you like that movie, I think you'd really like Routines. If you like Driller Killer, you'd really like Routines. I, I really enjoyed it. I've, I've watched it already uh, multiple times. I watched it last week, and I watched it once more yesterday just to be kind of fresh for not only this episode, but 
I just kind of felt like watching it again. I, I was very, it was very easily immersed into the film. I, I think, but what were the actors? I think Michael, Michael Bugard was the Bruce Mann character and Anita, Anita Brown was, yeah, darling. And, and they both had, um, really, really great chemistry. That's the, the stand-up comedian and the, and the punk rock chick. And I won't, I won't say too much in terms of like spoiling the film or whatever, but cause it's one of those like experience kind of movies. Like I think you, you just got to fucking sit through it and let it, uh, let the sleaziness of it all. Um, oh, and I, these, I, these I, weird... I, I think what you mean by that is, as you're watching the film, you kind of go, no, they're not going to go. No, they're oh, not they go went there. Else. Okay. And uh, and for people that don't know this, Josh was in the film as a as a video store clerk, and I, I thought he did a did a good job playing a grumpy clerk. Brad Jones was in it as a like a radio shock jock kind of dude, and I think he also did a good job. So this movie's not only great for our audience because you know they love these kind of kind of sleazy, grimy kind of movies, but they're also gonna gonna get a treat in seeing you know you know you as as a character in the movie as as Brad Jones, you know people that are fans of like the cinema snob are gonna get to enjoy that and he also did um i felt like he did a really great job as well he's he's in it for about as long as you are too i think like about 10 10 or so minutes total but he works well with what he's given and and you did as well and overall this is definitely a movie i can see myself revisiting it definitely feels like it has rewatch value i i really liked it a lot and i really hope our people who tune into the show like it and i do hope that it finds its audience in general of people that like these sort of cult style movies and i also want to point out if you hate anything i say ever when anita punches me i get punched out in this movie it's real we tried a couple of fake punches and it didn't look real so i told her literally don't hurt me but just punch me for real and she, <laughs> she didn't hesitate she's like okay and so we, we, we did it twice so i get punched out twice for real and so when you get to see me get punched in this, she's not pulling her punch. I mean, technically I knew it was coming, so I was ready, but she really right. does punch me in this movie. Mm. So that could be a cathartic moment. <laughs> if you ever wanted to see Josh get punched for real, you have uh, you have your favorite movie. All right, well, I sat down with Dominic and talked to him a little bit about routines. So we're going to play that right now, and then we'll be back. So Dominic... Where did routines come from? Because this movie, and I'm saying this in a way, I like the film, despite the fact that I'm in it. I, I would like it even if I wasn't. This movie is not going to sit well with a lot of people. This might be one of the darkest, bleakest comedies that people have seen in a while. So what was the origin of routines? Well, I was listening to a lot of stand-up comedy, like Bill Hicks and stuff, and I got the idea about... Well, my basic idea was uh, I wanted to make like a, a film noir, one of those things about like a like a bad lieutenant type of uh, like old film noir, like in a lonely place about an alcoholic drunk guy. But I didn't want it to be one of I didn't want it to be like about a, a cop or about a cliche like it's always about a cop or a writer. It's always about a writer. Like, those films are always about, like, oh, it's the writer who gets drunk or whatever. Then I got the idea, like, oh, a comedian, where, because I was listening to, like, Bill Hicks or something. And then I came up with that original idea of, well, obviously no one's seen the film yet, but in the opening, it's he's doing a set and no one likes his comedy and he beats up a guy. That was my original idea. And it spawned from there. If I didn't know what was coming when he beats the guy, and we're, we're going to talk a few spoilers here, nothing major. Well, but... that's fine. You have to, kind of. Yeah, because it's a movie that's not out yet. But 
you know, yeah. the guy is in on it. The main character, Bruce Mann, his act is so bad and so stale, he literally has to hire a ringer to try and make the act exciting. And I think that says a lot right there. With Routines, why so dark? Because, okay, I know you, you mentioned like Abel Ferrara's Bad Lieutenant, but dumb, this is a dark movie. And I'm not just talking about all of the drugs, all of the, the death, but I mean, you've got like passive necrophilia, you've got people being beaten to death in a comedy. Why so dark? Well, it just, that's my taste in humor. I like really dark even stand-up comedy, I like dark stand-up comedy. Like I mentioned, Bill Hicks, George Carlin, those are really dark comedians. And then also comedies, I, I, I like and movies in general. I like mixes. I don't like movies that are just one thing. Like you sit through it and you know where this is going. I like movies that are a blend of things. Like even, um, like Italian, I love Italian movies. And those are always have really dark humor. Even Italian horror movies have humor to them. It's like there's humor in there. That's like uh, Federico Fellini's movies, even when the dramas, there's comedy in them. I, I just like a, a blend of William S. Burroughs is one of my favorite writers and his stuff is gross and weird, but then it's funny. And it's it just I like a mix of things. Do you think that people are going to stand behind Bruce Mann, our main character here? Because and again, I'm going with your bad lieutenant thing. You know, the lieutenant in that movie was just a thoroughly unlikable person. And that's the way Bruce is in this. Did you intentionally try to make him so unlikable you're almost daring the audience to side with Bruce? Well, I wanted him to be sympathetic, but I also want I want you to know he's not a good person. That's I also like characters like that that aren't good. Originally in the script he was even worse and people convinced me to like tone it down even more. He was even more racist, like outwardly racist and more and then they're like, No, you have to tone that down even more because that's like then then they're not people aren't gonna he's not even gonna be sympathetic at all and I agreed. I was like, There's a point where like you won't even get behind him at all because they'll have no redeeming factors. I was like, okay, you're right. We got to tone some stuff down. But and eventually we found a, found a, I think it finds a balance where he's, 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 you, you could uh, understand him a little bit, but you're not supposed to, you're, he's, you're supposed to realize he's not a good person, but you're kind of supposed to understand him. Like in Bad Lieutenant, you know that guy's awful, but the point of Bad Lieutenant is by the ending, he redeems himself. Kind, somewhat, he would, I mean, he kind of redeems himself in that movie. This I think he's, he's, in this movie, I think he's a little more likable than in Bad Lieutenant, I think. Well, because I can see in the movie a lot of, to stick with Bad Lieutenant, a lot of Abel Ferrara. Like, uh, before the movie started shooting, you know, before I came up to film my scenes in Chicago and stuff, I asked you, like, what you were going for visually, you know, whether you wanted it to look like a Richard Stanley movie or an Argento film or, you know, something like that. And you said, sleazy like driller killer. There were numerous times you mentioned to me Abel Ferrara movies. Is that really your main influence here would be Ferrara? Actually, yeah, Bad Lieutenant was a huge influence. It's, I, I think you could probably see it in some, even in some of the religious symbolism. There's religious symbolism in the film, and that's like from, well, that's not only from Abel Ferrara, that's like from Martin Scorsese and stuff. And also, I'm, I have a Catholic background. I'm Italian, so my family's very Catholic, so I identified with, with that stuff putting that in the film but also the um but yeah the the, the grittiness of the film i driller killer like looks well obviously that's a low budget film and this was a really low budget film so i figured don't even try to like make it something that's not just make it look as gritty as possible because that's the money you have so driller killer was made for like no money so i don't know i was like do something like that 
Well, because I noticed one thing. Obviously, you know, being on set, it's going to look differently than what the final version is going to look like. You have very primary colors, lots of yellow, lots of brown, lots of earth tones. Was that what you set out to do or just what you ended up with? Because I'm just glad that the final film didn't look like a goddamn Saw movie. You know how that that washed out look? I just I hate that and I was afraid the movie was going to look like that. Oh yeah. Oh no, I don't like that. I I like colorful stuff. I like films. Again, I like it, it, when I say Italian films, I love that look of old 70s Italian films, super colorful all the colors and when I originally wrote it I don't think I was thinking that yet because I was just thinking of the script but uh, but then as time went on I thought of the a lot of the costumes like I picked myself because we had no money I, I didn't have a costume person really the so we had to like I had to like go through pick out the costumes I purposely picked out really outrageous colorful stuff and just I I wanted I wanted it to to be colorful, I and we, a color, I hired a color corrector guy, colorist, and he, I, I said to him, like, make it, ex, make it colorful. I, I don't like that either. I don't like the, like the soft film. They just make everything look blue. Like after they shoot it, they just go like, okay, we're just gonna make everything look, everything's blue and brown. I don't like that. Well, now, I'm going to go back to the disturbing tone for a moment, because like I said, when this hits, however you're going to end up distributing it, a lot of people are not going to like this movie. I think the right people will like this movie, but your average person looking for something on Amazon Prime is not going to come away liking this film. In a way, is that what you were going for? Because there, there's like there's lots of nudity in the movie, but it's not sexy nudity. You know, it's kind of disturbing nudity. You've got graphic sex scenes that are kind of disturbing. Is that sort of what you wanted to unsettle people with this well ex- yes that's exactly what i want that's why it took i wrote this script 10 years ago it took me that long to get made no one wanted to make it i've showed this to, like everybody I I, the, it- the script i got when you offered me a part was from was dated 2014 so from when we're recording this that's five years before you shot it yeah and that was that was even a different i wrote it in 2009 and so yeah it's changed a lot and probably in the draft you read, he was even the character was even more out, outwardly racist. There were a lot of racial slurs and stuff which were removed because he was just way too unlikable in that version. <laughs> I was intentionally trying to, to to disturb people, and that's what I want, wanted. Because another influence of I like Tinto Brass. Like um, if you see his films, like well Calig- Caligula is not is is his most famous, but a lot of his films they're called erotic films, but they're not erotic. If you look at like Salon Kitty, that the sex scenes of that are not erotic. They're horrifying, and and that's another. I like that, and no one likes that. <laughs> and and everyone, what I showed the script to, they're like, no one's gonna make this. People told me to take all this out. They go like, you got to take this out, this out, or this out. And by the end of their notes, I had like two pages of the script left. Now maybe I've seen way too much porn, but the scene with the hooker in the bathtub where Bruce is all going Hunter S. Thompson, which I assume was intentional for his look in that scene. The the hooker, the way you shot her playing with herself, got gave me a very Gerard Damiano vibe. Or am I just reading too much into your influences there? I very much got the ending of Devil and Miss Jones, the way you were framing it. Although, I, I obviously, in your case, you had a suspiciously placed object to not get an X rating. I get that. Y- yes, again, like you said, the um, yeah, it's, it's like a eroticism that's not erotic. Yes, that's similar to Tinto Brass. It's like, it's... Like, it's just, it's erotic, but it's not erotic. Yeah, those were influences of mine. Yes. The the film also has a, one of the things I think a lot of people are not going to like is 
it's got a very dreamlike quality to it, especially with the ending. What what are you expecting from reviews once the film comes out? Are you expecting just the cinephiles to get it? Or are you kind of hoping this gets a strange, I, I, I don't want to say viral thing, but that people are going to, and I'm just, I know you don't have distribution yet, so I'm just saying Amazon Prime, that maybe on Amazon Prime we're going to go, oh my God, you've got to see this fucked up movie. Well, of course I want I want that. Of course I want I hope everyone I hope people go like, oh my god, this is amazing. But I doubt that will happen. I I think I think people don't aren't gonna get it or aren't gonna like like purposely. I I made it dreamlike and weird and what people think they're gonna think. Like I don't I don't know. I honestly don't know. And I I I don't like to give too much away. And I leave I like to leave stuff up to what people think. And even if people are outright wrong or what they think, I. I don't think it's not fun to correct them or not fun to it's fun to let people I don't know think what they think. I, I think it's kind of funny that when I watch the movie, I totally got it. I'm like, okay, despite the fact that I'm in a couple of minutes of the movie, I'm like, I'm really digging this. My girlfriend on the other end was just kind of like, what is this crap? And I think that's the kind of divide you're gonna get. Well, yeah, I figured. That, well, that's I figured that even the movies I like, most people do not like the movies I like. I figured it. That's why it took me so long to get this made. No one wanted to make this movie like that. I showed it. That's why it took so long. So I, I, I expect that. <laughs> well, I'm hoping the movie does well. And a couple of the reviews that are out, I don't know why, because I'm nobody, point out one of their favorite scenes is the scene where I get punched by Anita. By the way, she's credited as fight coordinator. Her and I came up with that together, Dom. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, bastard. But no, she punches me for real in this movie because I remember when we were rehearsing it, you were you were shooting a scene with Bruce and the and the second Wednesday in, in the other room, and her and I were going over it and it just we decided it just looked fake. So I just told her, try not to hurt me, but go ahead and really punch me. I, I, I remember even though this is technically not film, the old John Milius thing, pain is temporary, film is forever. Yeah, she basically like just hits you in the face. Yes. <laughs> And what happened is, what you guys don't get to see in the movie, because obviously the camera wasn't there, because we were shooting in a real video store, a real standing video store, the really awesome Odd Obsessions in Chicago, there were all these cords on the ground. So when I fell back out of frame, I actually really tripped on a cord, and remember I fell over into a stack of videotapes, which the mic all caught, and I thought that was actually funnier than anything we'd planned. Yeah, there were a lot of things. Actually, there that was there were a lot of things in the movie that kind of were unplanned. That just uh, even certain things that again I I can't say because a lot of it spoils some things. But that because the movie was so low budget and we had to work really fast, we shot it in eleven days, which is extremely fast. That we were working so fast that we just kept certain things in that ended up working for the movie because we we had no choice. There's some things that aren't even in the script, like. Improvisational things and things we could that were completely rewritten and there was so also there's also ad libs the and you used it in the trailer which I thought was cool Michael and I ad lib because in the scene I'm in Michael you know Bruce Mann and I are arguing about the TV series The Prisoner the Patrick McGowan series and he and I ad lib the whole I'm not I'm Bruce Mann I'm not a number and I'm like seriously I remember yeah, that, that wasn't in the script but you liked it. I liked that a lot. Yeah, that was totally made up on the spot. And then everyone got confused and because we had to rewrite it, and it took a little bit, but then we got it. 
Well, and also, it's not my last scene, but what happens in the video store, I remember that was also ad-libbed. I don't think that was in the script either. Now, I, I want to tell you that, that there's something you might not know from the day. I was only shooting on on this movie for one day, and I drove a billion hours because I drove four hours one way to get to Chicago, and then we shot for, like, what, six, seven hours, and then I drove four hours back, and I was so dead tired. When I drove to Chicago, and I'm going to say this with no humility because it actually might be an insult to myself, I think you cast me right as the video store clerk because Dom not once but twice that day someone on your crew thought I was the actual video store clerk of Odd Obsessions and not an actor you had hired yes I I remember that that did happen so I guess that means you cast me right (laughs) yes (laughs) because people really because when when we first got there uh, your your producer, which I think was your father, tried to pay me f- to rent the store, and I'm like, I don't actually work here. And then when we were on lunch, there was this really cute production of assistant, the one with like the black and purple hair, who tried to buy a DVD from me during the lunch break, and I had to inform her, I don't actually work here. I'm just an actor. I'm I'm not the employee. I don't remember the second. I think I remember when my dad tried to pay you. That was funny. Yes, I don't remember the the second time. <laughs> I'm just saying you might have an eye for casting, but but also, why would you cast me? I mean, like, what made you think, again, I can't remember when you initially brought this up to me, but like I said, the script I have is dated from 2014. I can't remember if I had an earlier draft or if that was the first draft I got. I don't remember. What made you go, I want this loudmouth douchebag that I listen to on Radiodrome to play Richard, Dick, and I am a dick in the movie, the video store clerk. I was listening to Radio Drobe and wanted to cast Brad Jones in one of the parts, and I heard you, and then, I don't know, I just figured that maybe you, you could, I need someone for the video store clerk, and I just thought you, because I was listening while I was thinking of Brad Jones, and I figured, you. I don't know, what, I have no idea, it was so long ago. I remember I'm the one who got you in touch with Brad, too, and I think Brad does a great job in this, as as is sort of douchebag morning zoo sort of radio host yeah i think he's great too yeah you initially told me that that role was originally written for gary Busey. is that true (laughs) that's what you told me i did i don't remember it's i i i i i went through so many things in my head with this that i i don't know (laughs) with routines it's done There are screeners out there. Critics have seen it. You know, the cast and crew have seen it. What's the next step for routines? You're obviously looking for distribution, but obviously you didn't expect a freaking pandemic to screw up the festival circuit and things like that. So where does it go from here before people can actually see it? Well, it's submitted to some festivals, so we're waiting on on those on hear back from festivals. If again those festivals actually happen, maybe they'll be online. I know a lot of festivals are going online. And we're talking to some distributors, so it's just waiting right now. All we got to do is wait and see what happens. Well, then what are you looking for for this? Are you looking for it to be on Amazon Prime? Or are you really, are, are you going to want like a, a hard DVD Blu-ray release? Or is will streaming be good enough? Well, my hope, uh, my hope is for streaming and a DVD release. I, I would like it to be on DVD as well, because I, I would like some sell some physical copies but obviously streaming is where most people watch films and where the most people will see it so i do want it on i would like it on the streaming platform that's that of course is the main goal 
if this went to one of the more niche streaming platforms instead of Amazon or Hulu or Netflix or something you've got like Vinegar Syndrome streaming platform and would you be satisfied with that or because obviously you're going to get a much smaller viewer base that way obviously if you get this on Amazon Prime which I don't know why you wouldn't be able to you're going to probably get the largest viewer base of this but as I said, and again, I'm not insulting the movie at all. I don't think you're going to get a lot of positive reviews from this movie. And I think you'll, you'd will you enjoy that. Yeah, it depends on, again, I'd have to talk to the them and, and what they see. And again, if if there's interest in, in from someone like that, and if they'd want to, if they could get viewers, again, it's, it's like if they can attract viewers to, because if I go, if you go with a niche platform, but then what if no one sees it? On that. What if what if like they don't attract viewers to that niche platform? So it's like it's like who knows where? I guess you got to go where the viewers are, and it's just I don't I don't I'm not an expert on that's not my that's not, that's the problem that's not my department, and it's just I don't know. Leaving aside the fact that I obviously have a stake in this, is because I'm in the movie. People really should see this movie for. One, the acting, and I'm not talking about myself, I'm talking about like Anita and Michael, people like that. I think the acting is quite good. Anita and Michael have a real chemistry in this. I I think that works quite well. I think more people should see it. I'm hoping, you know, this is obviously pre-pandemic, I was hoping this would like launch someone like Anita, because you know, she's on like Chicago, I think it's Chicago Fire, I don't watch the Chicago shows, into a, a, a bigger realm. I'm sure you know how there's that whole, you can be like an extra in a large movie or you can star in a much smaller movie you know i was hoping this would help push some of them up a little higher as well as yourself because hopefully your next movie will be a larger budget movie with maybe a larger scale things like that yes that's what i'm hoping for too but yeah you're right the 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 pandemic thing kind of screwed everything up like i uh, a lot of things up for not not just this movie but like every every movie like every every, that no one knows what's going on you're just kind of like you have to wait wait and see what's going on. So I, I don't know. Well, there's also another thematic element that you have in the movie that I, I'm hoping people would pick up on. So I'm going to outright say it. It's called Routines. One, you have a stand-up comic. Whether he's bad or not is not the point. He does a routine when he goes on stage. And we've talked about how he has a ringer and everything. But it's also about he's stuck in this routine in his life of just watching public domain movies with his very out-of-it parents and, you know, buying cocaine on a regular basis from the same tweaker in an alley, things like that. I think you actually have a nice dichotomy between the routines of day-to-day life and the routine that is the job of our main protagonist. Yes, that 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 was the, also the um the point of the film is he's stuck in a stuck in a loop. Yes, he's stuck. Michael even says he's stuck on a hamster wheel. Is what he said. Like he's stuck routines and he's stuck in a circle. This movie's not just dark because you have it's a very dark scene. But there was one of the scenes that I was not present. It didn't wasn't shot on the day I was there. I laughed so hard at the bathroom sex scene with the three people. That is absolutely not a threesome. Yes, that was. That was that was another scene that kind of happened kind of as an accident because in the script it's written different very differently and we were trying trying to figure out how it would happen because in the script it's a much bigger bathroom and then it's like oh we can't find a bigger bathroom we have this little dingy bathroom and it's like how are we gonna do this and then it kind of it came together perfectly kind of through not only filming but editing and it was 
when you see, when people see the movie, they'll see. But it just it, it was funny how things you know you got to rewrite things. Always you always have to um, fix it. Just because it's a lesson also in filmmaking, you, you have to just because you write something one way, you always are able to change it, and you could still get what you want. Well, that said. Are you happy with how the film turned out, or do you wish it had been more what was scripted and less more ad- having to ad-lib around obvious production problems just because you didn't have the money to, to make this the way like a Judd Apatow, you know, would make a movie or something? No, I'm actually happy the way it came out. I'm not one... I, I realized that things change I when filming. I'm actually in the mindset that when you make when you make a script, the script is just like the basic skeleton of the movie it's one thing and then the film's another thing it becomes another whole nother process and things are going to change and it's almost like an experiment like things you realize new things and you find new things i learned that from watching because i read a lot of books on how filmmakers work even big directors like everything changes there's usually the the scripts are very different than the films there's only a very few filmmakers where the scripts are identical and there's, I, I know, I think Fargo, like, the script is almost identical to the to the film. But the Coen brothers are, like, one of the only very few people who are like that, I think. How, how soon do you think people might be able to see the movie, not counting whether festivals are open or not? What, obviously, you want it on streaming. How soon could that happen? Okay, my goal is, I hope it will come out by the end of the year, is my goal. I have no guarantee on that. But but I'm hoping before 2021 it will be available is my is my personal goal. <laughs> and I also think it really sucks that Odd Obsession, the video store in Chicago where we shot the scenes on my day, is no longer there. That was a great video store. How did you find Odd Obsession, and what are your thoughts on the fact that it had to go under? I actually found Odd Obsession because I I was wanted looking for movies in Chicago. I it was like, again, an old Italian film that I couldn't find anywhere, but Odd Obsession was like the only place that had it, and I went there, and I rented movies from there. And I just simply asked them if they if they wanted to let me film there, and they said yes, that they were the nicest people. And it, yeah, it really sucked that they, they had to close. It was only a few months after we filmed there. It just, well, during the pandemic it happened, but it just, it really sucked. Yeah, because I, I saw their sort of... Uh farewell thing online and i'm like dude i just shot a movie there like three months ago what happened yeah i was really surprised like i just because i was planning on um like having a premiere of the maybe not a premiere but like doing promotion there or something involving the film we, i was talking with them about it so i didn't even know that it was they, they like shut down it just i just suddenly happened So right now, a movie like Routines is kind of sitting in a weird limbo. It's looking for distribution, and because of COVID, everything's sort of up in the air, you know? I mean, it'll probably end up on a streaming service regardless. He obviously wants some sort of a physical distribution, like a DVD or a Blu-ray or something. I actually think, I don't know if he's thought about this, but I would suggest it to him. Remember what uh, Ty West did with House of the Devil, where he did like a VHS release? I think this I think routines is begging for a sort of a promotional deal like that. I think that would be great if it got like kind of a nostalgic VHS release like a clamshell box kind of thing. I think that'd be fucking great. I'd love to have that on the shelf because I can put this on movies I've worked on. But so what do you guys think is the state 
of distribution after this because that's what dominic is running into right now is this the the distribution problem the movie's done the movie's mixed it's got its audio it was i sent you guys the screeners it's it's a complete film was completed right when everybody was shutting everything down yeah i I mean because what you used to do for an independent film you would complete the film, then it would play the festival circuit, then distributors would see how it did on the festival circuit, and then they would contact you, and you would work out a deal. That's how mm-hmm. it used to work. Without the festival circuit, I don't think most people understand just how important that element was to an independent film. And without that, everything's up in the air. And like, I don't know all who's, who Dominic is talking to for distribution or anything like that. I think it's going to be a shame if this movie just kind of floats in the ether for a while a movie like this should at least wind up on amazon prime or peter and i before the show were talking he thinks it would fit on shutter it it's got to find a home and i think a lot of people are going to want to see it just to see me get punched (laughs) right now a lot of people that have made movies that are now complete that happen to be either before this or um uh, you know, if they if they manage to finish it like right before this or even stuff that's been sitting on a shelf for years, I think they're in a prime position to actually get their stuff released because you're going to have movie studios that have no content. And if they have no content, they have no income. So what can they do? But, hey, start looking at everything that they've got sitting on the shelves. Sit, start looking at independent films that don't have distributors, that don't have releases. And they're going to buy them and most likely not put them into theaters, which is kind of a bummer. But I think from their perspective, they would probably be better off taking them and buying them and putting them on video on demand and then eventually uh, dropping them to a streaming platform. Mm -hmm. It seems like an easy way for somebody to convince a studio, hey, we got this movie here. You need content. Why not? (laughs) It's already complete. So there's no post-production costs. Exactly. It's already done. All you got to do is give us blah, 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 however much they they want, uh, how Mm -hmm. much they can get and then get it out there. So I think that a lot of people that have finished films are probably in a pretty prime position to start, you know, talking to studios and getting their stuff out there. And I'm in agreement. They, They kind of they've got all these movies that are probably like hundreds that are sitting on a shelf somewhere and they're all completed and they just don't have anywhere to be showcased and i think they just need to start figuring out like which ones they're gonna put on on demand on amazon prime on shutter uh or even working out deals to play them at like drive-ins i think the the opportunity to have uh cities and towns that have opened up drive-ins that would be a great place to introduce some of these independent films that have been worked on i think routines would be great at a drive-in and and as i said shutter would probably be a pretty decent home for it. it to me it just skirts the line just enough that it can be seen as like kind of a, a weird psychological kind of horror film or just like a character study of, of like a shitty human being, you know, much like uh, in the same tone of something like like an American psycho or or, or like a driller killer, something to it, that effect. It also does take place in the world of monster movies. I mean, Bruce yes. and his parents watch monster movies every night and and, and there is a de- there is a brutal death in the movie. I'm not going to say more than that, but there is a brutal death. Well, no, there's two now that I'm thinking about it. There's two yes. pretty gory deaths in the movie. Well, it's a it's very much like uh, it's not the typical kind of standard monster spooky ghosts or big knife killer kind of slasher movie but it definitely does have elements of horror to it and i do think that the horror crowd is going to like this one a lot it does have uh that sort of you know there's the element of 
you know, the, the couple that watch the monster movies. There's also just how it really is a very sleazy feeling film at the same time, too. Like, as I said, very much like an Abel Ferrara kind of flick, like the the uh, heyday of Ferrara of the late 70s and early 80s really very much has that kind of tone. And I really do hope that this movie finds a home, whether it be on a streaming service, whether it be at the drive in. I would really like to see both the the filmmakers and the actors in the film and everybody get their piece of the pie, get some money out of this because they deserve it. They really made a really cool movie, and I just hope it finds somewhere to be distributed soon because it really deserves to be. And most of the reviews for Routines has, have been good so far. And a couple oh, nice. Of, a couple have even pointed out that they really liked my part. I, I guess seeing me get punched is really cathartic to a lot of Dude, people. Dude, you, you did a good job. You yeah. sold the cranky grumpy clerk like i genuinely was just because i've experienced like this you know going to video stores or, or forgetting like your club card when you're going to the store and you have that great moment with bruce the bruce man character where <laughs> you're like not letting him rent a movie because he forgot his like his video star card and he's just like i'm the only fucking guy that comes into this miserable place and it's like don't need your card man it's like oh f- you i've dealt with people like you <laughs> thanks it's great though like it was it was really really good like i think everybody interacted with each other very well the moments with brad jones are a lot of fun as well like i've already said all this stuff earlier but it's like i really did enjoy the movie a lot and i really do want it to get to get seen by by more people and it doesn't surprise me at all that it's getting good reviews it's it's a very well put together film so do you think a film like Routines, I don't even know how to put this, the, the way I said it to Dominic in the interview, and I still believe this, this movie's not going to go over well with a lot of people. It's going to go over oh, well with the right people. It, it'll go over well with the right people. You're av- this like- is, let's just put it this way, and it's, it's may, it may be a bit harsh or whatever, but this movie is not going to find a mainstream crowd. No, it's not. I mean, it would be it would be nice if it did. Like, it, I I would love if what happens to routines is people see it. Let's just say Amazon Prime for just a you know an example. It's on Amazon Prime. People see it and go, "Oh my God, can you believe this movie? It did this and this and this, and gets more people to go see it." I think that would be pretty cool, actually. If it somehow managed to get people you know, that normally wouldn't like this kind of movie, but they end up enjoying it for the shock factor that it has alone. And they end up seeing it as this like kind of uh, this like anomaly of, of this is like so, so opposite and so anti like what what people are preaching and trying to push nowadays. And this movie is just it's almost a so definition politically, of bad taste, isn't it? It's incredibly politically incorrect. <laughs> And I think that's that's the entire point of it is just yes. how in- politically incorrect this thing is. It really is. That that's why I think when it comes out, people are gonna watch it, and I I'm hoping word of mouth spreads that oh my god, this is not really a plot spoiler, but this guy masturbates on a corpse in a comedy, <laughs> in a funeral home. Yes, in the funeral home, and you're like, wait, what? And, and and that's one of the least disturbing things in the movie, am I right? Oh yeah, it's got it's got other messed up stuff in it. But so okay, all that said, do you think independent cinema can recover from this? With all of the new guild rules, do you think that you know, we don't know if COVID is going to have another spike this fall or not, like there's some people are saying it's going to. Do you think this is the new normal? Do you think that this might be, and the studios have been wanting this for years, do you think this might be them finally being able to stomp out that pesky independent scene? I guess it's really going to come down to, we're going to have to see where things go. If 
these regulations do really come into effect, uh, I think it's going to screw up cinema across the board. It's going to screw up everything across the board because these regulations are not just going to be confined to films. They're going to be confined to companies. They're going to be confined to everything. And uh, it's uh, it's going to have an impact on the way that uh, the world has been running. So I honestly don't know. I think that uh, there's probably some people uh, higher up that are hoping that this uh, gets rid of those pesky independents. And uh, I do have a feeling that some of them may get swallowed up by the larger companies. You're going to have some companies like Disney and whatnot that are going to take advantage of this. You know, a smaller indie film company is starting to get ready to go bankrupt and they come in and swoop up and buy their catalog. I honestly don't know. I think this is one where uh, it could go in any number of a hundred different directions at this point. Well, yeah, I guess it's like it may be too soon to tell, but it's definitely definitely rough and i do think it's going to affect a lot of things for the worse and i do think that independent cinema is definitely going to need to struggle to get out of this one because there definitely are the big wigs out in the the more corporate side of filmmaking that would really love these pesky little independent films to to get the fuck out of the way so we can make way for like another transformers franchise and i just hope that this is not the death of independent cinema because technically true independent cinema could still operate because they don't usually use guild rules. So the guild rules won't stop true independent cinema. But on that same token, the first time an independent, uh, I mean, you... uh, ignores the guild rules and someone gets covid they're gonna get sued out of existence so i'm not saying the indies should say hey we're not taking precautions because that's just foolhardy i'm saying Mm. if you're not gonna be really going by guild rules anyway maybe this won't affect you at least not too bad but i hope there's not some of these fly by night because you know there are so many sleazy producers that it's like i don't care get it on the disc and some of them might go I don't care if they get COVID. We have a release date. We have a street date. Mm -hmm. Because I know porn, porn has been hit hard. Because porn is literally people exchanging bodily fluids, which is one of the things that passes COVID. So the adult Mm -hmm. industry is going to be hit even harder, I think, because that requires, while less crew, more contact. And that Mm -hmm. cameraman's got to get right up in there and everything, you know? So. Oh, God, yeah. He's going to be in, like, one of those outbreak biohazard suits. <laughs> yeah, he'll be, he'll be in, like, a big beekeeper suit holding the camera down on, like, her going down. Whatever. Okay. Is the future bright or not? Because I'm on the... I'm, I'm saying I think it might be, but it's not going to be in this year. I think 2021 is where where indie cinema can really come back. Right now, nothing's happening. Right now, all of Hollywood is at a damn standstill. While I don't think it's ridiculous that they're taking precautions, I think it's a massive overcorrection. Going to be interesting. I think uh, the the streaming companies are probably uh, jumping for joy. You know, with people not going to theaters, streaming services profits have probably skyrocketed. Now, the downside to that is when you have a company like Disney that has, uh, you know, they're making movies as well as having a streaming service so while their streaming is up the lion's share of that which is the theatrical cut they're not getting so i'm sure they're uh, i think they were losing something like 40 million dollars a minute or something while covid was going on 
I I don't know. We're in a really there's never been anything like when I say there's never been anything like this before. Yes, there has been. There's been the Spanish flu and whatnot, but there's never been anything like this before in this current incarnation of the world. We've never had the way that things are running and then to everything to be shut down by a virus. So uh, while something like this has happened before, it's never happened in this fashion. So we really don't know where anything is going to go. Uh, honestly, whatever happens anymore, I'm not shocked. You know, murder hornets, just 2020 just keeps on being crazy. Kanye running for president. I, I don't know what the hell's going on anymore. So, all right, on that note, where can people find the Cecil just Ceciling stuff up? You can find me. Thankfully, I have an overabundance of films that have already been made that I can talk about. So uh, you can find me talking about old movies and some new stuff at goodbadflix.com as well as goodbadflix on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. And where can we find Peter probably just being Canadian somewhere? Uh, you can find me being Canadian as always on on Twitter, uh, on at Cinematica, on YouTube, the Cinematicist, on 1201beyond.com, of course, with other fine programming. You can also find me on Patreon at Cinematica. I, I want to thank Dominic for coming on the show. I want to thank Dominic for casting me in the movie. More people should end up seeing routines when it comes out, which, of course, if you stick to my Facebook or Twitter or anything, I'll be able to let you know when, hey, this actually has distribution now. But in the meantime, you can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. My website is 1201beyond.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.